Good morning, friends. I love starting new sermon series. If you have your own Bibles, and I hope that you do, we are in the Old Testament book of Malachi, which is the final book in the Old Testament, so about three quarters of the way into your Bible. If you have a tough time finding books of the Bible, uh, wise people long ago put table of contents in the front of our Bibles to find the page number. So there's Bibles in seat racks in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, please take one home. Uh, if you didn't grab a bulletin, I do encourage you to grab one on the way out. Those of you who did grab a bulletin, can I just... Um, did you guys see there's a bunch of things in your bulletins? It's a small little library. Um, but that's because when ministries start off in the fall, there's lots of opportunities. And my just encouragement to you is one for you to pray in your own heart where God would have you to go. And then follow the model throughout the scriptures where you say to others, come with me and seek the Lord. Come with me and seek the Lord. So inviting someone to be a part of your small group, inviting someone to be a part of the Alpha ministry uh, we have this uh, 19th, excuse me, the 20th anniversary on September 19th. Invite someone just to come. They don't have to come to church. They can come and say, come and play at Bloomsbury Farms. Meet a community of people that are seeking after God together. So please pray over these things. If you're married, talk to your spouse. Uh, and just pray that you would seek the Lord this year and you would invite someone else. Come and seek the Lord. Lord Jesus, would you help me now to share the word in a way that would... Uh, make Jesus big and accurately project him. He is the hope of the world. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, a young woman named Izzy became pregnant. Uh, the details to her pregnancy are a bit murky, but at that time, she also ended up homeless and on the streets. And a kind benefactor found her brought her back to his estate, had female servants care for her. Over the weeks and months leading to the birth of the child, the benefactor actually came and offered his hand in marriage to her. Blown away by his grace and his generosity, she accepted his hand. In due time, a child was born. She gave him the name Kai. Kai grew, received his adopted father, loved his dad, loved his mom. But about the age of 16, something began to happen in the home. Kai saw that his mother began to doubt the father's love. In public, sometimes she would say, our, our house is a mess. I wish he would get things together. In other places, he would just see her wander. Kind of, sometimes Kai saw her interact with other men in questionable ways. And so he began to approach her and be like, Mom, Dad loves you. He loves us. What are you doing? This is the allegorical background of the book of Malachi. This is what's happening in the book. Izzy is the nation of Israel. The father is the Lord God. And Malachi is the Kai who's coming to his mom. What are you doing? How could you leave this benefactor, this God who loves and is mighty and is good? His message uh, came in the 5th century B.C., and so it's always tempting to be like, well, maybe this isn't relevant to today. But I would say that the kinds of concerns that Malachi sees in the 5th century B.C. are active and well in this local church, in this city, in our country. Some of you are aware of the statistic that over the last um, 40 years, 
The amount of people who claim zero religious affiliation, or what pollsters call the nuns, has grown from 5% of Americans to 25%. A quarter of the people want no identifying connection to any religious body. In uh, just sheer number of people who profess to be followers of Jesus, who would say, I'm a Christian, has fallen from 77% down to 65%. And then I would say, if you just watch in the last decade, there has been this phenomenon of many people who grow up in gospel-preaching evangelical homes. There's such a phenomenon, they call them ex-evangelicals. It's just this thing. I'm an ex-evangelical. It's so popular that even just a couple of years ago, CBS had an evening show entitled Deconstructing My Religion. Put these together, we have a similar pattern to 5th century Israel. Uh, Apathy is epidemic. People are drawing away from God. And into this environment, God's word still speaks through a 5th century B.C. prophet named Malachi. Let me give you just some of the historical background of Malachi. Uh, As I mentioned, he's right around the 5th century B.C., which means somewhere around 435 B.C., maybe 450 B.C., he comes and he begins to preach. We don't know much about Malachi. We don't know if he was a, a priest, a commoner. We don't know if he was a member of royalty. His name simply means my messenger or God's messenger. Um, A couple of important dates that are kind of interesting to to note. Um, 609 B.C. Some of you guys know that in 609 B.C., that's when Babylon kind of had the final death blow to Assyria, and Babylon becomes king of the hill. Uh, Interesting, 70 years later, Persia kicks Babylon (laughs) off the hill and says, no, we're king, a 70-year time period. A second 70-year time period is about 605 B.C., which is the first time Babylon comes and smacks around Israel. Seven years later, Israel uh, returns to Jerusalem. And then another 70-year time period, 586 B.C., is when the temple in Jerusalem is totally crushed and annihilated by Babylon. And it's almost 70 years to the day when a new temple is dedicated to the Lord God. The reason why I mentioned these three 70 years is because the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied that there would be judgment on Israel for 70 years. Any one of these three could be God fulfilling his promise, or it could be all three, and that's the kind of thing that God does. He keeps his word. But even though Israel has been back in the land 50, 75 years even though God has brought his people back, even though the temple has been put back into place, even though the sacrificial system is, is back going, Israel has become lackluster. They've become half-hearted. They are playing fast and loose with God's commands. And so Malachi arrives and Malachi speaks. Now what I'd like to do today is I'd like to fly at 30,000 feet, give you an overall theme for the whole book of the Bible, and then we're going to come back in subsequent weeks and look at each individual passage that Malachi has, so each message for the 5th century as well as for the 21st century. At the 3,000 foot level, I believe this is Malachi's main message, revere God's name by keeping covenant. Revere. God's name by keeping covenant. Let's take this in two parts. Let's talk about revering God's name. Revering God's name. Now, a name 
I believe, tells us, is kind of known for two major things, right? A name is known for the character of the person and the abilities of the person. The name, Abraham Lincoln, most of us say, well done. The name Adolf Hitler, something you kind of loathe. Any young ones out here been named Adolf by their mom and dad? Name also relates to abilities. What can some, when I say the name Apple, some of you, maybe half the room, say those, thing, those people can get some things done. Or Amazon, they have abilities. They can get my package around the world to my doorstep in two days or less. Well, God's name, you either hear God's name and it draws you to him, or you hear God's name and you pull away. A.W. Tozer, a pastor of a former generation, uh, said this very provocatively. He said this, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes to your mind when you hear the Lord God? What comes to your mind when you hear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Malachi brings up the name of the Lord 11 times in seven different verses. I want to just look at these quickly. Two of the verses they speak of a, are, are, are like negative examples of Israel dishonoring God's name. Uh, those would be found in Malachi 1.6 and in Malachi 2.2. Let me read these to you. Malachi 1.6 reads this way. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If, if I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask... How have we shown content for your name? If you jump down in Malachi 2.2, it says this. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. The other five verses that speak of God's name actually talk about how God's name is being honored, how God's name has been honored in the past, and how one day God's name will be totally and truly honored. First one is in Malachi 1.11. Malachi 1.11 says this, My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place incense and pure offerings, offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi 2.5 says this, My covenant was with them, a covenant of life and peace. This is the people of, or the tribe of Levi. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. Malachi 3.16, speaking of God's name, we read this, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. And then Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, the last time it speaks directly of God's name. But for you, 
but for you who revere my name. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will grow out and frolic like well-fed calves. God's name. Now, I think it's always tempting to push back. Like, why does God care so much about his name? Does he, like, an, does, does he have an ego issue? Is he an egotistical jerk? It's interesting. My wife and I were out for dinner last night, and we were talking about the ph- phenomenon known as CrossFit. I think we have a few CrossFitters out there. Are you bold enough to raise your name? Who CrossFits out there? <gasps> there she is. There he is. Now, these people, you've met these people, they boldly proclaim the name CrossFit. And you might bring up something like P90X, and they're like, oh, I laugh at P90X. Who is Billy Blanks of Tybo, right? Why? Because someone who's into CrossFit, and the reason they revere the name, they've never felt better. They've never looked better. In fact, they are walking specimens of the glory of CrossFit. Right? Well, the reason why someone gets so excited about something like that is because it's a good thing, and it's doing good to me, and it could be good for others. But this is why God's name is to be hollow. This is why God's name is to be revered. God knows that when you recognize him for who he is, and you live in light of the glory of his name, not only is it the best thing for you, it's the best thing for the universe. And for you to dishonor his name is to, is to screw everything up. John Piper writes something to the effect of, God was made to be at the center of the solar system of your soul. Right? So when the sun is at the center of the solar system, all the planets orbit correctly. But if the sun were to get off, it would be chaos. Well, that's what happens when God's name is not, is not at the center of our soul, the, the primary focus of our lives. It dishonors his name and it brings danger and destruction everywhere else. See, for example... 10,000 years of human existence when God's name is disregarded. So God calls us to revere his name, to honor his name. This reminds me of a little shepherd boy once. He showed up at a scene of a battle. Some of you know this boy's name. His name was David. And when he walked into the scene of this battle, he overheard an opposing soldier mock God's name, and mock God's people. What, what came out of David's chest was built up from years of loving God's name, knowing the goodness of God. And so he said, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then later when David approaches Goliath, Goliath again, it says he cursed the God of Israel. And this was the last straw for David. He cried out toward Goliath. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. God's name mattered to David. 
he would not allow the name of the Lord to be brought down. Can I just ask this your own heart? What happens when you hear people in your uh, community downplay the name of the Lord? What happens? Do you just kind of blow it off? Or is there something in it that just wants to step forward and say, let me tell you about the goodness of the Lord. Let me tell you about the goodness of my king. Can you blank that screen? It's distracting me. Like, what, what, is, what is it about God's name? Does it stir my heart to worship? Does it, do I want to protect his name? I, when someone starts saying about something being awesome, do I say, oh, that's a good thing. But do you know what an awesome thing is? The Lord Jesus Christ. Am I like Peter? Peter in the Acts chapter 4, he said, there is no other name under heaven by where by way everyone must be saved than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I get that way when someone talks about something that's salvific or helpful? No. The name of the Lord is a mighty tower, and the righteous run into it, and they are saved. This is Malachi's first call to Israel. Revere God's name. Guys, studying the book of Malachi this fall, it's going to get into our business. He's going to push buttons because he believes God's honor is not to be mocked. He's going to talk to us about honoring God with our marriages and sexuality. He's going to call us to revere God with our finances. Malachi is going to address every idle word we speak regarding God. And Malachi doesn't give us a single pass to dishonor God when things get tough. He calls us to revere God's name. The second major piece to Malachi's message is this. We revere God's name How? By keeping covenant. It's interesting, the word covenant is one of the, another, this recurring word. In fact, we'll look at this as weeks coming up. There's actually five different covenants in four short chapters, five different covenants that that Malachi brings up. Uh, What is is a covenant? Let's talk a little bit about a covenant. Um, So the word covenant comes from a Hebrew term that simply means to cut. So in ancient covenant is similar to a modern day deal. That's why we use the expression, let's cut a deal. But in ancient Israel, they literally cut things when they made deals. They would often cut two animals or multiple animals. They would split them in half. And then the two parties would walk between the carcasses of these dead animals, symbolizing that if either party violates this little deal, we will suffer the kinds of consequences as these beasts. The bloody affair, but you sensed it was a very sobering moment. You didn't enter into such uh, deals half-heartedly. It would make for a very interesting wedding ceremony instead of rolling out the white thing that the, the bride walks on, like it was just blood and guts. Some of you are engaged right now, maybe consider this if you're trying to have a more biblical marriage. But this idea of a covenant, this cutting of a promise, the cutting of a deal, God does this all the time in in the Old Testament. And uh, you guys are familiar with two particular covenants. Uh, We we call them the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And sometimes in your Bible, it's it's divided like this. Old Testament 
New Testament. The word testament is referring to a covenant, a, a relationship. And uh, just, just to kind of whet your appetite on covenants in the book about Malachi, let's look at where he looks at, speaks of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Uh, sure, so let's talk about the Old Covenant, also known as the Mosaic Covenant. Right, so this refers to the established relationship that God entered into with the people of Israel, the Hebrew people. After they had brought up, been brought out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were made. And in, at that place, God established a unique relationship with a unique people. And it was cut in stone. And you can read about the covenant ceremony. It begins in Exodus 19. It goes all the way through Exodus 24. But the people of Israel, they enter into a relationship with God. And in that relationship, God laid out commandments. And if Israel obeyed, there would be blessing. And if Israel disobeyed, there would be cursing. It was a particular arrangement, or sometimes called a dispensation, in which God chose a particular people to follow particular laws in a particular time, in a particular place, in order to teach other nations about a particular God. This is why one of the overhanging truths of the Old Covenant is, Be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 18.5 summarizes the Old Covenant well when it says, Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. So the contrary is, if you don't do this, you will die. Uh, if you want to see this in Malachi, he brings up the Old Covenant in uh, chapter 2, verse 10. I'll just read it to you. Chapter 2, verse 10. Malachi says, Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful one another. So the ancestors that Malachi is referring to are the ancestors at Mount Sinai. The covenant violation that he's about to speak to in chapter 2 is that they have violated the seventh commandment related to adultery. And if you break one covenant obligation, it means you've broken the entire covenant. So to revere God's name, Israel should honor all of God's laws and commands. In fact, Malachi says this specifically in chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai, for all Israel. Malachi is like a lawyer all throughout the book, and he's bringing argument and argument against Israel that they have broken the covenant. And he's like, example one, da-da-da, example two, da-da-da. But the, the overarching thing of this is you're supposed to obey what Moses has taught you, and you have not. You have not. But thankfully, in the midst of this very sobering book, and really, if, if there's any prophet in the Old Testament that's hellfire and brimstone, it's probably Malachi. He, should, he could have been a Baptist. But he is very direct, and yet there's these glimmers of hope And one of those glimmers of hope is found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Malachi 3, verse 1 is where he's going to start talking about not just, not the old covenant, but the new covenant. Malachi prophesies through the lips, speaking from, uh, as a prophet of the Lord, so this is God speaking, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come says the Lord Almighty. 
again. We're going to look at this passage closely in depth in a number of weeks, but this is fulfilled 400 years later. The messenger of the covenant is going to be John the Baptist. The Lord of the covenant, the Lord who enters the temple is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is the dawning of the new covenant. And the term new covenant is actually first articulated by the prophet Jeremiah, 150 years before Malachi. So this promise of a different covenant, a new covenant, is one of God's most biggest, most significant hopes all throughout the Old Testament. We read about that covenant in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. You know, there's certain passages in the Old Testament that's worth, you know, never forgetting. This would be one of them. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Let me read to you this great promise. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So it's not like the Mount Sinai covenant, not the covenant made after they came out of Egypt. It's a new covenant. Verse 33 gives us some descriptions of this new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one and know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So notice the similarities and the differences. This is such a significant text comparing the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant has these external laws that Israel broke. The New Covenant involves this internal transformation by the Holy Spirit that leads to the law being written on our hearts and on our minds. The Old Covenant brought condemnation. It brought death. The New Covenant is this hope of forgiveness, sin being taken away from God's people. Now, under the Old Covenant, you would keep the Old Covenant this way. You would profess faith in the one true God. If you were a male, you would take on circumcision, and then to express your faith, you would obey all of the commands written under the Old Covenant. But keeping the New Covenant, you put faith in the gospel. You put faith that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins, that you could never obey the Old Covenant. That all of your attempts at obedience failed miserably. Like Israel, you were deserving of wrath. You had abandoned the good husband, the Lord God. You had rejected this wonderful benefactor of heaven, the creator, the God with perfect character and perfect abilities. You had rejected him. And so Jesus comes and he dies in your place. And then by believing in him, there's forgiveness, there's renewal, Yes, both covenants reveal a God who saves, but the new covenant is better. That's the New Testament word. This is better. The book of Hebrews is all about the better covenant. Early in the book of Hebrews, the writer offers this sober warning. The writer says, if there were consequences for those who ignored the old covenant, how much worse 
will it be if we ignore the new covenant? The writer of Hebrews says this, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? There's no other way to be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. How will we escape? In the 5th century BC, Malachi pleads with Israel, do not leave the one true God. He pleads that they'll repent of their sin. He calls them to revere God. He calls them to keep their covenant promises. And here's the thing. On this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, his pleas are similar. Brothers and sisters, do not leave the one true God. If you have not submitted yourself to the one true God, if you have not believed in Jesus' Christ's death and resurrection, there is no salvation elsewhere. And so come and enter into covenant with God. Believe in him. Follow him. And then we fix our eyes on an intentional life of revering God. We want the stamp of our lives, whether we go to work or in our neighborhood or in our community, when we're in conversation, that the name of the Lord is first. Can you imagine the horror of a real-life Izzy turning away from a loving and caring husband? Can you imagine? Before she had met this husband, what did she, where had she gotten in life? She was alone, lost, and soon to die. Why does she think she'll do better without her husband? And so, friends, I leave it up to you. you know, your action this week will bring some name honor. You will live for some name this week. It might be your own name. It might be your own reputation. It might be some organization you're a part of. Oh, that we would reorient our lives to bring honor and praise to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our loyalty and love will always be paltry in comparison to his, and yet what a privilege to revere his name wherever we go. What a privilege it is to walk in covenant faithfulness to the Lord our God. One last story. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, there was a college president by the name of Robert McQuilkin. A pretty young guy to be a college president, and about the time he's elected president, his wife is diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He was in his early 50s, energetic, kind of this rising leader. But he realized he couldn't be both a full-time college president and his wife's caretaker. And so he actually resigned his presidential post. Various friends and advisors, they approached Robert and they urged him, keep working, don't quit. They would say something like, others can care for her as effectively as you can. God shows you for this great college work. Think of the impact for God you can make in this prestigious chair. And then they hit him with what I think is a low blow. She doesn't even know who you are. And this is how McQuilkin replied. He said, but I know who she is, and I promise to be there for her. By the way, I close with this story as the, not as a final nail in the coffin to get you off to be an amazing covenant person this week. I don't. I close with this story because Robert models God's faithfulness as seen in Malachi. Though Israel has forgotten God, God has not forgotten his people. Israel ran away and God chased her down with Malachi. 
And you might be running from God. You might be forgetting the covenant. You might have forgotten the goodness of the Lord. You might have forgotten the sweetness of salvation only available in Christ. But God is faithful to his covenant. He keeps his promise. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. He hold, we see it in his ultimate gift of his son to save us. Jesus holds fast to his father and dies in our place. Friends, we're all Izzy. We're all tempted to wander and we're tempted to doubt. And still Jesus dies. Still Jesus saves. And so, dear friends, there is no greater name than Jesus Christ. Revere him. Father in heaven, I'm thankful that you continue to proclaim the same message to your people. You proclaimed it to Israel, you proclaimed it to us. I have not forgotten you, though you have forgotten me. Lord, you are good, and your love endures forever. There is no greater name. You are perfect in power, perfect in majesty, perfect in righteousness. In your mercy, you saved a rebellious people. And Lord, we just want to know you. And then, Lord, we want your name to be lifted high. I pray for our people today. Lord, I'm not sure where they're coming in here. Anxious, burdened, broken, discouraged. Maybe in their own hearts as the name God comes to their minds, they, are, they have grown quite cold. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you change hearts? Would you change minds? Would you draw us once again to the sweet name of Jesus? Pray that he would be honored. Thankful, Lord, as we come to this, the sign, one of the signs and seals of the covenant, the Lord's Supper, as, we, as once again Christ is preached to the visible elements of the bread and the cup, we are remembered of God's faithfulness to the point of death to save his people. We love you. We pray that you would be honored and feed your people in the supper. In Jesus' name, amen.